breast cancer can affect as many as one in eight women at some point in their lives. After skin cancer, it is the most common type of cancer for women in the United States. If it is caught early and treated aggressively, the prognosis can be good. But even when you do everything right, there is still the chance that the cancer could spread. My name is Mary Parker, and on this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science, we spoke with my friend Carmen Hale, who knows this cancer much too well. She agreed to talk about her experiences with cancer because she strongly believes that transparency is important. Cancer is scary and devastating and still not perfectly understood. But Carmen believes, and so do I, that the messy reality of cancer and its treatment should not remain in the dark. This episode, I am joined by a very special guest, Carmen Hale. Carmen is a New England native, a mother, a photographer, and more recently, a world traveler. Carmen also has stage four metastatic cancer, and she has agreed to come on this show and tell us about her experiences as a cancer patient. Welcome, Carmen. Thanks, Mary. Carmen and I actually go way back, all the way to kindergarten. Uh, we were friends through grade school, but we lost touch when we went to different middle and high schools. We reconnected as adults, and I'm very grateful to have her here to tell her story. So, we both grew up in Epsom. Yes. <laughs> we both went to Epsom Central. Yeah. Which is a pretty small school, so everyone kind of knew everybody. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that you remember most about those early days in Epsom? Oh my gosh. Um, I guess Girl Scouting was mm -hmm. a big thing. And then I really liked focusing on art. Yeah, I remember that about, yeah, I remember yeah. that. After high school, you moved to Seattle, didn't you? For a really brief time, yeah. What was that like? Um, it was nice. It was a little bit rainy, more rainy than I thought it would be, so. Pretty big change from rural Epsom to Seattle. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to spread my wings a little bit, and I moved, ended up moving back to New Hampshire, and... I worked there for a few years before working in Boston for most of the, most of the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. And then where'd you meet your first husband? Um, I met him in Seattle, actually. Cool. Yeah. And you guys had a little girl. We had a little girl. Her name was Sophia. And how, how old is she now? She's eight. So then later, when you were living in New Hampshire, you were first diagnosed with breast cancer. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, originally I was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer and I electively had a double mastectomy with um, reconstructive surgery. Mm -hmm. And then I had um, several months of chemotherapy and then I had radiation after that. And at that time, they thought that I was, you know, not cured, but they thought that I would be fine. In the beginning, I thought that the surgery was all I was gonna have to do. Um, but the reconstructive surgery that I decided um, is called a DIEP flap where they take your own tissue from your abdomen or wherever you have extra tissue um, 
and kind of reconstruct a new breast out of the tissue. Mm. And I understand that that's extremely involved. Yeah, it's a, it was a very long surgery and I was in ICU for about a week after that and then in the normal hospital and I didn't leave my house after, after I got home. I didn't leave my house for about a month. So it was a lot more involved in, than I originally thought it was, was going to be. But the benefits of that over the like in silicone implants is like it theoretically lasts longer. Well, for me, yeah, that that made the choice easier for me with silicone implants um, or any breast implant. Usually, they have a lifespan of about ten years. So, assuming you live a healthy life after that, you'd be, you know, and your I was thirty at the time, so. You know, even if I made it to 70, having to do a surgery every 10 years didn't sound appealing to me. After her surgery, Carmen's doctors decided to give her chemotherapy and radiation after all. Chemotherapy has been used since the 1940s, and radiation treatment goes even farther back to the turn of the century and the discovery of x-rays. Chemotherapy has the most inauspicious origins possible on the battlefields of World Wars I and II. After the use of mustard gas during World War I, chemical warfare research led to the discovery of nitrogen mustard as a possible cancer treatment. Modern advances have refined both treatment techniques considerably, including targeted approaches that can minimize unnecessary side effects. So chemotherapy could be either physical pills that you take at home, or it can be IV form medication that's administered at a hospital. Um, and radiation is something that you go to a separate site, a radiation site, and um, they mark you with um, permanent tattoos so they can line you up properly on this radiation bed. And it's during the treatment, it's painless, but um, it's like a... Like side effects afterwards? Um, yeah, mostly just exhaustion. And that more, that's more from the radiation than the chemotherapy? Um, actually, both are pretty exhausting, to be honest. But I would say radiation has more cumulative um, effects so far as exhaustion. And so after those treatments and after all that was cleared up, then what happened next? Um, after that, I started living a super healthy life. I was doing Bikram yoga, and I was into road cycling. But I started having these spells where my back would hurt, and I thought it was just that I was going at it too hard, road biking, and I would see different chiropractors, and they would kind of temporarily fix me, but it was, I didn't get any lasting relief. Um, until finally I couldn't take it anymore and I went to my doctor and she um, prescribed a CT scan and when the um, results came back she said that there were numerous lesions in my spine and at that time I knew just from the wording that my cancer had metastasized. 
For Carmen and her doctors, the goal became cancer suppression and quality of life. The treatments she receives now are intended to keep the cancer in her bones for as long as possible and to manage her pain. At this point, she switched from treatments at her local hospital to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, which has a dedicated palliative care unit. Palliative care has been a huge thing for me. Um, it's a separate doctor who helps take care of you as a person, like your um, emotional needs and your side effects um, from different medications or in helping with your pain levels. Um, and having that person has just been like an amazing change for me. So they're like part counselor and then part patient advocate? Uh, I'm not sure if I would say that they're part counselor. They would probably <laughs> slap my wrist for saying that. <laughs> but um, they definitely treat you as a whole person. Isn't there an art center at Dana-Farber? There is. It's actually, um, it's a really great resource where you can go between appointments or before appointments. Um, as long as you're a patient, you can go there and, you know, make necklaces or cards or there's staff there to help you figure out, you know, a craft that you'd like to do. You mentioned me at one point that some of the radiation treatments you got were actually for pain, and mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was one of the things that radiation could be used for. Can you okay. describe that a little bit? Sure. Um, so a lot of my radiation, if not all of my radiation since becoming a stage 4 patient, has been for pain. And once you've had an area radiated, you actually can't go back and radiate that specific area again. So, um, ever or just for a period of time? No, ever. Oh, wow. Um, so you have to, you and your doctor have to make the right choices of what's best for you. But just keep in mind that, you know, you can only do one area when, once. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes you more selective as to when you might choose to have radiation for a certain area. But I've had almost my entire spine and both of my hips and one of my femurs radiated so far. And that's helped? It's helped a tremendous, a tr tremendous amount. Um, before I started radiation, in the beginning of my diagnosis, I could like barely walk 50 feet and now I'm able to do much more. Carmen's palliative care has allowed her to make significant dents in her bucket list. By focusing on quality of life and her emotional needs, her doctors have made it possible for her to go on some adventures, including a recent trip to Japan. It was amazing, yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends and family um, donated funds to help me get there. And um, I went with my cousin and we went, we walked all I can't even believe it, but we wa we walked all all around Japan. We went out to um, southern Japan and then came back to Tokyo. And my husband met us in Tokyo, and it was just a lot of fun. Carmen is finding ways to give back and make her own contributions to future patients. In her first consultation with Dana Farber, Carmen was asked to take part in a clinical study. The study is administered completely blind, so Carmen does not know the name of the drug, whether she's getting the drug or a placebo, or really anything about it. 
She is also finding ways to demystify cancer and help people understand what it means to live with it. You've been so open about talking about your experiences, not just here, but with other family and friends and, you know, on Facebook. Uh, can you tell me why you're so eager to share your story? I hope that it helps at least one, one young person who's going through something similar um, just to know that you're not just like a patient in a sea of you know, people. There are resources available and doctors who will listen to you and you know, you're not alone in it. And what would you want to tell some people that might be going through this or have family members going through this? What would you want them to know? That's a tough question. Um, for people who have family members going through this, um, I would suggest to, even if you've asked them a million times what you can do, don't stop asking just because they've said no. It takes some time to kind of, or it took some time for me to get worn down enough to accept help. Um, usually I'm a really independent person and I like to be independent, but at a certain point I had to say that I needed help. So I guess that's something for both patients and caregivers to think about. Thank you so much for coming and, and for telling us your story, Carmen. And I'm really grateful that we could share this with other people who might be experiencing it. Me too, thank you. For Sounds of Science, I'm Mary Parker. Thank you.